3: Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this weekly journey through culinary history. And today is a, a special visit, if you will, in virtual visit um, to a brand new museum. And if you've been living under a rock, come on, then you don't know. But otherwise, you must know that the new Muse- National Museum of African American History and Culture has opened. And it's a long time coming. It is the only National Museum devoted exclusively to the documentation of African American life, history, and culture. As its promo reads, it was established by Act of Congress in 2003, following decades of efforts to promote and highlight the contributions of African Americans. And joining me today to talk about this new museum is Jessica B. Harris. Jessica is a respected author and researcher on African American foodways, and she's spent much of her career researching, preserving, and promoting African and American African American and African contributions to the culinary field. Her last book, High on the Hog, A Culinary Journey from Africa to America, where she was on the show and talked about that a couple of years back. Um, with a forward by Maya Angelou, won the International Association of Culinary Professionals Food History Award in 2012. And Prior to that, she was awarded the Southern Foodways Lifetime Achievement in 2004. Jessica is a professor of English at Queens College and in, in New York City and has more than a dozen cookbooks to her name. And you can hear some of her podcasts right here on Heritage Radio Network called My Welcome Table. So be sure to check those out. Jessica has a new book coming out in May, My Soul Looks Back, and I welcome her. To the well, show, thanks, thank Jessica. You. Thank you. You Linda. are a busy like, lady and hard to get a hold of. I let am, me tell you, <laughs> indeed
4: I am, and it looks like I'm even getting busier as I get older. So it's kind of crazy. That's the good news, you know. I That's guess the good
3: so. news. Well, this museum, I have to say, being I am a founding member, and yet I have not visited yet. They, you know, they had those oh, time tickets, and you had to get in the lottery, and. Talk about a popular museum.
4: Well, they've already had their one millionth visitor. Unbelievable! And they just opened in September,
3: uh, and our visit is not planned until um, the middle of spring. So, hopefully, they you know that that will not get canceled. And because once you lose those tickets, you know you wait in line again. But um, you were a consultant to the to the food portion of these exhibits, and I have to say it's very interesting um, because <clears throat> the museum is history and culture. And there are five uh, exhibits of cultural expressions, right? Well,
4: it's almost as though there are multiple museums within a museum. They are not necessarily discrete. They're all interlocking. But you can go and see the, the history portion You can see the cultural portion. You can see something called the power of place, which is about various particular places in the African-American world. Uh, You can see um, the art of African-Americans. So they're they're all there. They're all interlocking pieces. It's almost as though there's this marvelous sort of three-dimensional puzzle that can be seen. And the thing about it is that while it is the National Museum of African American History and Culture, it really is an American museum because African Americans have been so much a part and parcel of the fabric of the country that it is impossible to parse one out without the other. So it's just another optique. It's another spyglass through which to view American history. It's fascinating as that.
3: Well, you're absolutely right. You think about, you know, we use food, as a lens through which to look at you know, the African-American contribution. But yet, as you just said, where does that stop? I mean, that yeah. the, the contributions to our society and to our history, it, it doesn't stop. I mean, we wouldn't be who we are no. was, well, as they say, no, built on no, the backs no. of slaves, for, right? Well, but, no,
4: for, for all of that, I mean, the, the whole notion of the length of time for which Africans, <laughs> enslaved and otherwise, have been on... Um, in this, in what became this country, and ultimately in this hemisphere, is pretty astounding.
3: Well, the uh, one of the the uh, founder Lonnie Bunch, he said one of the quotes that he has about the museum said, "This museum tells the American story through the lens of African American history and culture. This is America's story." And this museum is for all Americans, just as you described it. Oh, no.
4: i pretty much paraphrasing Lonnie in any case. <laughs> it's yeah. okay.
3: We can say it again yeah, and again. Yeah. Right. No, no, no.
4: Then- it, it can't be repeated enough because I think people tend to sort of say, oh, it's the Blacksmithsonian," And it's like, yes, yeah. but what
3: does that mean? Why don't you see American Museum of History and Culture? Well, there is one. That's why. Uh, yeah.
4: And that's where the ruby slippers are. Uh, but um, but I think it's important. I think it's very important that there be an African-American one. I think it's just interesting to view it not just as being there for African-Americans or for any hyphen Americans, but right. for all Americans.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there is one part of the, the cultural expressions groups. There's one in particular, of course, and that's the foodways culture and cuisine. So can you kind of highlight that one for us a little bit? Well, the cultural
4: expressions talks about all of the ways in which African Americans have um, influenced the culture of, of the United States. And certainly one of the most pervasive and perhaps one of the most subtle has been cuisine and our food ways in general. So that that area, that section basically has chosen to tell the story Essentially through chefs, and there are several chefs that are involved. There is um, Chef Joe Randall out of Savannah. There is Chef Leah Chase out of mm-hmm. New Orleans. Uh, And
3: honestly, I can't. Who's history herself? I mean, well, no, she's she's
4: iconic, and (laughs) I'm thrilled, 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 because I'm going to be doing an interview with her at the museum in mid March. Oh, wonderful! So I'm very much looking forward to that. Oh, that's true. And um, and so just looking at those chefs and how they've worked and how they've affected the cuisine, Chef Piaf Cham from Senegal, representing a new. African American, who right. actually goes back to Africa and is African, African American, if you will. He's been on
3: several shows here at the. Oh, I'm the sure network. he
4: has. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but but all of that to just talk about how that works. Chef Patrick Clark, as well.
3: Yeah. Well, he was he was terrific. Mm-hmm. Left us way too early. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, again, it's just um, how much African American. Cuisine, food, cooking has, has touched the cooking of the United States and beyond, obviously, well, is, absolutely. is amazing. And
4: absolutely. This- and I mean, and it, it, it in fact even goes in some ways beyond just the food and the preparation to the manners, to the manner of vending in some cases of food, to the particular kinds of foodstuffs. It goes from everything from the oystermen right like downing in new york city and the whole idea of those oysters uh, you think of dragos in new orleans and um that roasted oyster the roasted
3: oysters right
4: but those aren't new <laughs> those <laughs> go directly back to the oyster men the uh, oyster men who were often enslaved africans who self-liberated um you know who sort of ran away and um who then um, used the expertise that they had gained about oysters and oystering to establish oyster refectories. Uh, certainly
3: that was Downing's case. Yeah. Um, I think very few people are aware of, of Thomas Downing's background and his story in New York. I mean, that he, he really was the oyster king of New York. And, and, absolutely. And anyone who knows about food history of New York knows that it was all about oysters. And they were everywhere. sent them to
4: Queen Victoria yeah. and had, you know, great commerce. I mean, that's... That's part of the story, and that's part of New York's story, and it's part of African-American history, New York history, American history. Um, You find um, just things like uh, there is a video which I had the distinct pleasure of narrating that talks about um, street cries and street vendoring and huckstering and hawking things. And that's another thing that Of course, we've got, you know, Molly Malone and her cockles and muscles alive, alive, oh, and we seem to be stuck on shellfish in some kind of way. (laughs) But but there's also a particular... It was free for the taking. Well, there you go. There's also a particular kind of inflection of that that comes in Charleston, that comes in New Orleans, that comes even in New York City in some cases with those particular street cries of African Americans that took that... African aspect of huckstering and then use that, built on that and created other things. Um, some of the early works talk about how, um, how the enslaved Africans often <laughs> use their street cries to be, in quotes, insubordinate uh-huh. and uh, unnecessarily loud and just a general nuisance in the public soundscape. But what better way than by selling food? So there are all of those kinds of things that get you know, a little bit of a tip of the hat. The food waste section could have been its own museum, frankly.
3: Oh, I, I would imagine so. Yeah. Well we'll start one of those one day. We'll have a whole oh, who food knows? museum who with knows? you know the influences. Well we've got a food museum material. We, we, do. we, we don't do. have the African American yeah, right. necessarily. Uh, there was it's interesting because I was thinking another major influence and that was the African American women. They were very prominent in the kitchens and I was helping a young student do a, a project on women chefs and how difficult it is for you know when, when did when when did the first woman chef you know arise and when you know aside from women were in the kitchen at home but not you know in kitchens and I said well you know actually look to the African American experience Ooh, absolutely, absolutely they were in the manor they were, houses they were, they were in the
4: they big were all, they the great the White houses house. the, man, the manor houses the White House the wherever there was a house pretty much. Um, they were cooking professionally, uh, not necessarily called chefs. Right. Not more often than not, not acknowledged, but yet and still feeding families and innumerable parties of of hundreds. Oh no, absolutely, know, and, and absolutely. Control. And then you begin to look at the whole notion of, and it still, to a certain extent, obtains the the idea of caterers. And African-American caterers, uh, David Shields has done some work oh. on the caterers of Charleston and has an entire listing of the African-American caterers of Charleston, many oh. of whom were women, but who created these incredible banquets for the aristocracy of the time. And we right. see all of that as well.
3: Um, and, and and as you said, manners, um, this, the giving all the instructions to the staff of... How to serve? How you know the you know the the proper way to uh, serve a meal and clear a meal and uh, I mean that's where you know they should that was the book of manners right there. Well, no,
4: absolutely. And Robert Roberts, who who wrote the oh goodness uh, the house servants directory, right. and that's all about how to be a proper butler, how to be a proper valet, if you will, and all of those manners that obtained. But even more than that, particularly in the South a lot of the traditions of how to be in the world evolved from not necessarily Europe, but from Africa. And I found a wonderful quote that's somewhere in uh, my book, The High, High on the Hog, uh, from Miss Manners herself, uh, where she talks about uh, how much of Southern hospitality and Southern, large quotation marks, gentility, comes back to uh, what the people learned from their enslaved nursemaid, the, the mammy of the house. Mm-hmm. That idea of when you go to someone's house, it is considered polite to offer them something. Some, something should be offered, even if it's just water. But you don't go to someone's house and and leave two hours later after a visit without having been offered anything. That's not polite. But equally, when you are asked to have something, you must eat like a bird. There's always that proverbial scene in Gone with the Wind where, you know, um, Hattie McDaniels makes Vivian Lee eat like a bird. You know, eat that breakfast so that she will, when she gets to the barbecue, not be you know, scarfing down barbecue, but eating like a bird because ladies should eat like birds. Uh, Otherwise, if you go to someone else's house and you eat... Like a vulture. Like a vulture, (laughs) a big bird, um, people will think you don't have enough at home. So, I mean, just little things like that that came out of West African tradition in a way. Uh, I was recently in Benin and water is offered. You know, you, you get these things that come back that are really part and parcel of the fabric of the fabric of the manners of some of those places in Western Africa from whence the enslaved were taken.
3: Uh, now the exhibit back to the museum because mm-hmm. I mean, you are mentioning West Africa now you know mm-hmm. um, several times are there are there influences split up in different ways for, as opposed uh, I'm thinking. Um, from areas of Africa that are representational of the different... Um, well, I mean, I think,
4: and I have not... I mean, the museum is a... I need a lifetime museum. Uh, uh. It's not one of those things where you can say, I saw it, or I didn't see it. I've. Well, been, I mean,
3: in, for the, in the food, particularly. In
4: the foodways, not particularly, no, no. Uh, because the foodways section is actually on the fourth floor of the museum, and it's, it's a good idea to think about the foodways and that whole cultural gallery, because when you go in, often the history galleries, which are downstairs from the entrance, are so full that you can't get into them. And so the fourth floor, occasionally, I mean, it, not to say it's empty by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. but you may have better luck at being able to see what you're trying to see. In another kind of way, and so that's fascinating because in there there aren't there aren't the intense crowds, but it's a small space, relatively speaking, and it deals not just with food but with other cultural aspects as well, ranging from dance to music, other things. All right, but you there know, is gesture, the food section, and so forth. And so the food section is a major part of it, and it's got a lot of. Just really intense things. I mean, there are cookbooks... There, uh, there is even the wonderful pinkish-red chef's jacket from Mrs. Chase. Yeah. I know that because I managed to bring it from her to the museum, <laughs> so it's one of my favorite pieces in the museum.
3: And they actually highlight, in the, on the museum pages, they highlight the, the, the pink jacket. So yes. I thought that was great. you yeah. knew yeah. exactly whose it was. Uh, absolutely.
4: Once yeah. you see that jacket, you know that's Mrs. Chase. Yeah. So there are all of those kinds of things as well. But it is... It is a sort of self-contained section where you may not see every piece that's there, but you can leave with a sense of it, which is very, very important. And then when you leave with a sense of it, perhaps you'll go downstairs to the cafeteria, which is actually what, what I did most of my
3: consulting on. That's what I want to talk about next after we take a really short break. That's, that's, let's talk about some food, okay? okay? <laughs> so stay tuned. We're going to talk about the cafe when we come back.
1: This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters.
3: Hi, we're back, and I'm talking with Jessica B. Harris, and uh, we're talking about the new National Museum of African and African American History, History and, and Culture. Culture. It's a mouthful. N M A A H C. <laughs> it's much easier, right? Um, and it's one of the Smithsonian um, museums in Washington D.C. If you get a chance, when you do a trip to visit the chaos and see what's going on go to the museum (laughs)
4: the museum is
3: a nice kind of neutral space on the (laughs) mall. that's right um we were just about to talk about the cafe and you said that's where you did most of your consulting because i um it's in our on the page the show page that you were a consultant to the museum and particularly for this cafe the cafe um and the the chef, the executive chef is Jerome Grant Absolutely, at the cafe. Absolutely, yes. And I know that Carla Hall has been named an ambassador, the, the so, chef yes. and TV yes. personality. Yes. Um, but the cafe uh, is... It's called the Sweet Home Cafe. Sweet Home. And mm-hmm. tell me what you, you actually devised a plan for them to right. have food that's representative.
4: Well, the idea was to... I think the Smithsonian at that point was at a state of flux. Uh, Mitsitam, which is the cafe at the Museum of the American Indian, mm-hmm. had opened and had opened to great acclaim, and it is a wonderful space to eat on the mall as well. And the other museum restaurants seemed to be in the, you know, Chicken Fingers and Burger Zone. And so the idea was to, um, to paraphrase <laughs> rather sillily um, Gilbert and Sullivan to make the punishment fit the crime. <laughs> so the idea was to have the food in the museum reflect the museum and to reflect some of the ideas of the museum and certainly what better place to showcase the food of African-Americans than in the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. And so with that in mind, I got this wonderful phone call uh, several, well, at this point, multiple years ago from someone who said, hello, this is Lonnie Bunch and I'd like to (laughs) talk to you. And so it was, it was just glorious, and they had me down, and I spoke with their scholar panel. I gave a presentation on the food of African Americans, and they must have thought it was okay, because several months thereafter, I was asked to, to consult and to actually help with the conceptualizing of the cafe. And so what I did was I basically took a look at Mitsitam, took a look at what I knew of African-American history and culture, and then did what in jazz would have been called a riff. So to take that kind of baseline of Mitsitam and then to put all of those top notes and spin from African-American culture onto it, and out of that, uh, one of the things that I did or thought of doing was dividing into service sections, because that was part of the mandate, but then to take those and have them talk about the fact that African-American culinary culture, which we often think of as monolithic and which we equally often think of as southern, southern right. is not, so that we end up with four different spaces, four different sections each serving different kinds of African American foods and African American inspired foods. And originally there was even a fifth one, but the space didn't
3: expand <laughs> enough to include it. Well these four sections they're they're distinctly regional.
4: Absolutely. They're they're regional, they are in fact geographic.
3: So we have the agricultural south. Mm-hmm which would be like give us an example sort of, of what quickly mainly the maybe?
4: upland south okay. the agricultural south being the if you will plantation south the upland south and then the creole coast the creole coast would yeah. be the coastal south right so that really is everything if if you will it might be the potato eating south from the rice eating south or the corn eating south from the rice eating south although sometimes those both show up on the plate so together. we kind
3: of mix in with Either or both. So
4: you've got in the agricultural south, you've got Virginia, you've got North Carolina, you've got Upland Georgia, Upland South Carolina, Alabama, all of those kinds of things. So you're
3: probably going to have some ham and hop and Oh,
4: that's the kind of hog and hominy south in another kind of way. In the um, coastal south, actually the Creole coasts, you get all of that mixing. That's where you get some of your Caribbean inflection. That's where you get a lot of your shellfish. That's where you get your shrimp and grits. So really more West
3: African influences. Well, not so much more,
4: but just different, because it's, it's in a way, it's coastal, so you've got other kinds of food that you're getting. So you've got your, you know, your Charleston red rice. You've got your shrimp and grits. You've got your uh, whatever is happening out of Louisiana. You can have your jambalaya. You can have an occasional gumbo. You've got all of those things happening there.
3: Mm. Then we have the northern states. Okay,
4: well, what happens is once you get out of the south, that's when it starts to get interesting. So when you get into the northern states, you get things like oyster pan roasts. Right. Uh, or those roasted oysters. You know, I think currently what's on the menu is an oyster pan roast, but there are other possibilities, that whole oyster culture as it comes into the north. You get things like uh, coddies, codfish cakes. You get salmon croquettes. None of these are necessarily on the menu, but these are all sort of representative of that kind of thing.
3: Uh-huh. And then last but not
4: least, the Western Range. The uh, Western Range, which is the West and the rest,
3: okay? so Because you, you didn't have space to split it up, right?
4: <laughs> well, yeah, that, some of that is right. that, because there you get, well, I think it's, it is on the menu, Son of a Gun Stew, which is was, not what it was right. originally called, and you, you get to tip the hat to all of those um, sodbusters and cowboys, because black cowboys, there were enormous numbers of black cowboys, and enormous numbers of black cowboy cooks, So you get all of that that gets to be saluted. The Buffalo Soldiers as well. So all of that is in the western regions and the western ranges. And the one that didn't get space but that then shows up everywhere is what I was calling Creole Cousins, and that was about showing the connections within the African diaspora. So that I think currently on the menu from um, the northern States, you get an oxtail stew mm. that's actually a Guyanese oxtail stew. So we're beginning to talk about newer patterns of immigration, newer patterns of people coming into the country, but also making connections in another kind of way.
3: Well, it sounds like, I mean, do people are people really aware that they're eating from these different sections when they're in the cafe? Uh, I think they the are, because you have to line up at your at section a different station,
4: to yeah. get the food from that station, so they very much know where they're going. So that's an education as well as going I, uh, through the oh, exhibits. Always right? the teacher. Terrific, Always yeah. the teacher. Well,
3: it's, I, I am so sorry that we're running out of time, because just as being at the museum, there's never enough time to never see it Never enough time. Talking to you, there's never enough time to, Ah, uh, yeah, I kind of long-winded. I want to hear about your book coming up. I want to hear about, well, we have so many other things we could talk about, and that's oh. once again, the, the discussion, which I think you brought it up before, people not understanding that, well, what What do you mean African-American food? Isn't it just soul food? Isn't it just Southern food? Exactly. And that whole difference there that we've talked about before Absolutely. on the show. But, And then cultural appropriation, people taking these cuisines and thinking that without, without giving the proper due to where they come from. But then again, we just said, these things... Infiltrated the society across the well, board. They, they don't know. Maybe they evolve. You know? Are they evolve? And
4: I mean the whole notion of cultural appropriation, which is a show in and of itself, because yes, it absolutely. really deserves a little bit more time than we could give it now. And yes. Probably rather than say anything and be misunderstood, I need <laughs> to just wait. But the point is that. Um, that it uh, the the cafe Sweet Home Cafe is amazing and in fact I don't know if you're aware of this you may be but it's a semi-finalist for a Beard Award as Best New Restaurant oh terrific which I think is astounding and I it- didn't
3: even know they would Give, it, put that in the running. That's I, I didn't either. I yeah. think it
4: may be the first time that it's ever been a museum. Oh, well, restaurant. That's so I'm
3: thrilled about that. Well, congratulations to your input well, on that. Congratulations to, to yeah, all of to them. them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely wonderful. No, And you're absolutely right about why we've covered this in other shows, the, the cultural appropriation, and not just African-American. I mean, all across no, the board. No, more. it's, it's um,
4: a but big question it is, that deserves a lot more time and, and a lot more thought, probably. It does. It
3: absolutely does. But this is so wonderful. Because you you know, you go to the museum, you really get to see and learn about about so many aspects of, of history and culture. And and of course I'm always gravitating towards the, the food well, absolutely. end of the culture. Absolutely. <laughs> and and
4: it gives it double place because we get it not only in the cafeteria itself, where you get to not only talk about it but sample it, but we get it on the fourth floor in the cultural Crossroads. That's the, right. The, that area. That's absolutely as well.
3: right. Okay, so before I close out, just a quick plug for your book. The book is called once again. The book is called My Soul Looks Back. And it is it is, a memoir? It
4: is. Okay. That's the subtitle. Literally, My Soul Looks Back. Colon a memoir. memoir. And this is due to come out. Its in... pub date is May 9th. May ninth. I am. Anxiously looking forward to it, <laughs> I'm,
3: as as with are the many people. Just anxious
4: because it's it's kind of interesting. It's it's about young love. Well, uh, you you
3: got to put uh, yourself out there sometimes. A huh?
4: gentleman uh, who happened to be James Baldwin's best friend, and ah. through him, I got to know James Baldwin. I even called him Jimmy, and I got to know Maya Angelou, and I got to spend my twenties and early thirties with an extraordinary group of
3: people and so well, that's I'm, what the book's about I'm, I will touch your hand before you leave <laughs> and then I've got a little I've had a touch with, oh my. <laughs> with that fame well I, I am so sorry that we have to end but we but we do have to end and When your schedule lightens up, if never, I know (laughs) you will have to come back again, and we can talk about all things, even James Baldwin. We'll get all of those things (laughs) included. Well, thank you so much for sharing your information about the museum, and thank you for listening. Again, this has been a taste of the past, and I'm your host, Linda Palacio.
2: Thank you.